0: Hi there and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Meryl Johnston. The Lifestyle Accountant Show exists to help today's accounting firm owners build successful firms while also living a healthy, happy life without sacrificing sleep, your weekends or time with loved ones. Today I'm talking with Tyler Kasky from The Bean Counters. Tyler is an experienced CFO and accounting partner with a track record of improving or maintaining high-performance finance and IT functions. I know him from his day one, month-end reporting methodology. Today, we're discussing why Tyler turned down a director role at a big four firm and a partnership opportunity at a mid-tier firm to focus on scaling his own firm.
1: And he goes, who, who doesn't want to grow revenue? Is there anyone in the, in the place that doesn't want to grow revenue? And I was the only person that put my hand up. He was like, are you being serious? I was like, yeah, man, like, you know, we're over a million. And I was like, mate, if I double my revenue, I'm double stressed.
0: Today, we're getting Tyler's perspective on how director roles at the big four compared to senior CFO roles, how he thought about the pros and cons of a partnership opportunity at a mid-tier firm, the lifestyle benefits that he sees from running his own firm, why Tyler doesn't use fixed fee or value-based pricing and prefers billing based on time and materials, which is, I'd say, not the mainstream opinion. His tips for building high-performing teams and Tyler's interesting response to the question of would you like to grow revenue? All that and more coming right up on The Lifestyle Accountant Show. Are you worn out by the complexities of sales tax or maybe just tired of constantly picking up the pieces when software messes up? It's time to embrace a better way with Tax Valet. Tax Valet's sales tax compliance suite handles everything for you, from data prep and filings to managing audits, all for one simple, easy to understand monthly fee. TaxValet is looking to form meaningful relationships with accountants who truly care about their clients' experience and want to partner for the long haul. We've been recommending our BeanNinja's clients chat to TaxValet about their sales tax requirements for years. If you're interested, check out taxvalet.com. That's T-A-X vale com and check out their partner program. Remember, with Tax Valet, it's not just about making sales tax easier, it's about making your life easier. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about your backstory and how you got into accounting.
1: Yeah, it's it's a good question. I, I really, uh, I, I wasn't sure when I started university, just like everyone else. You know, I started in... Um, doing a phys ed degree with um, a double in management and I just found those like interesting but I just wasn't naturally, I suppose, gifted or good at them. Um, I always really enjoyed the phys ed and the physiology and that type of stuff but the science behind it was, honestly, it was probably just out of my, you know, current skill set that I had at the time Um, and, you know, I was getting a's in accounting and i was getting b's and everything else so midway through second year um you know i was working with one of my friends and you know they were like why don't you just like choose accounting full-time so um made the switch so moved into accounting and then with a economics minor um and like really enjoyed it like did the four-year degree and then you know in those accounting firms they come into university in, in you know kind of the end of third year and i signed up with kpmg in new zealand you know, very early on um, like with a year and a bit left to go in my accounting qualifications. I never really planned to be an accountant like my dad was like a management consultant and then did a bit of accounting on the side and always liked numbers so I think I think there was a bit of uh, hereditary brain happiness from looking at numbers which was which was quite cool. you know really found like a bit of a, a passion for solving problems was probably the the thing that drew me in the most. How about yourself?
0: How did you get in? So my mum's actually an accountant as well. She was one of the early female chartered accountants at Ernst & Young, which is Ernst & Witte back, back then. Awesome. Yeah. But, but I didn't actually think I would go into accounting. And she never pushed that. I just like business. So I always wanted to run and own businesses. Ooh. And then um, it so I actually did a little bit of phys ed studies and became a personal trainer when I was 18 and was trying to decide do I do the fitness route nice. and I had a year off between school, high school and university and tried that and worked as a tennis coach and a personal trainer and then thought, oh, no, this is not the lifestyle for me. I'm definitely going to – I've deferred university for a year. I'm going to go back and do that commerce degree and wow. <laughs> focus on the business side of things. And even if I want to go into sport and the outdoors later, at least I'll have a business skill set. And then same uh, kind of thing ended up cool. happening. You did vacation work, and then ended up working at at Video as a graduate. And so, what came next after your time at KPMG?
1: But yeah, I, I should answer that question. Um, you know, I was at KPMG for four years, and I did uh, KPMG Dunedin and Christchurch, and they were smaller offices. You know, like eighty to a hundred people, but really, really well run businesses. Like they taught me amazing things on like balance sheets like the strength of a balance sheet reconciliation and how to do one properly like we still use that method in my business now like 20 something years on Um, how to do jobs efficiently how to not waste time Um, you know how to report issues up early that that was awesome but then also like how to adopt technology even in like 2001 you know, one of the grads and I, she was like an IT background and I was accounting. And we both kind of identified that how much better a job is if they were on BankLink back then or QuickBooks or any other system rather than receipts. Um, so those businesses were really good at helping uh, their clients move through the transition process. And I think that's where I really fell in love with accounting was seeing a business that had no idea where they were going. Until end of the year, five months later, knowing exactly where they were every single month, not just cash in the bank, but actually knowing the profit of their business and the profit of their divisions. So that was that was my first four years, and honestly, I I was really lucky to land where I did. It was it was by mistake as well.
0: And so where did where did your career take you from there?
1: Yeah, I was, I was in New Zealand, and I was looking at three countries after I finished my CA and CA bonding. Because, you know, you always stay for a year. Um, I was looking at Melbourne because I had a friend in Melbourne. I was looking at the Cayman Islands. Uh, One of my managers moved to the Cayman Islands to do audit of financial services. Um, Good paying job, like 80000 US tax-free at age 25 was pretty luring. Um, And then I was also looking at Atlanta, Georgia. I had some family there. Um, I knew the visa options pretty well. So I I was looking at that. And so I applied for all of them got the first round in Cayman Islands and then moved to, got a flight offer and an interview with Deloitte in Melbourne. And they flew me over, put me up in a hotel, um, had an interview and I signed on that day. They were just, I liked the city. I'd never been there, um, but I really enjoyed like what I saw in the three days before signing. shook a hand, signed a contract and then a month later came back and moved into the mid-market business services team of Deloitte Melbourne. Mm -hmm. And it was just a good step up, like a thousand people or a thousand, one hundred people business um, coming in as a senior and, and, you know, really going from businesses on $10 million a year up to the 50, 100 million or even some of the listed businesses like Newcrest Mining when I came in.
0: And. Then was it there that you then moved into some financial controller type roles in industry?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was It was really good. Like Deloitte, I wish I'd probably stayed longer. I moved into manager. I think I, looking back, I probably would have um, not jumped as early for like an extra $20,000 in pay. Um, mm-hmm. But after that, I did about 12, 13 years as financial controller or CFO or commercial manager. Um, mm-hmm. Did seven years in law firms, took a career break for about six months, uh, did AGL for a listed company for on a contract for a year. That was pretty rough. And then three CFO roles here in Sydney, like an IT business, a recruitment business, which was fantastic, and then also moving into a uh, uh, architecture and design, um, mm-hmm. which was honestly, it was just my favorite kind of role. I had, within 18 months, I'd kind of hired the team, got everyone down to like, day one, month into reporting and basically made myself redundant. So asked the boss if I could start, you know, go part-time and then start consulting, um, which he happily said no to, which was quite (laughs) funny. (laughs) And that probably, you know, started my move back into partnership.
0: Next, Tyler took a partnership role at a mid-sized accounting firm called Rothsay Chartered Accountants. And around this same time, he also considered a role at a big four firm.
1: Yeah, like a, a year before when I was looking for partnership roles, um, I, I was in touch with Deloitte and they offered me a director role and the salary offer was like half my CFO salary. Um, you know, and I went, I went right into the third interview trying to find the salary. Like I was like, what's, what's your bands? You know, like if, if they were like 50 grand off, I would have been really interested. Um, you know, because I know what the uptick is in big four. You know, like you can make a million dollars as a partner there, not easily, but you can do it. Mm-hmm. And that that was pretty interesting. So, you know, going through that process and seeing the pay gap at the senior CFO level versus director was just mind boggling. And talking to the recruiter, and I said, you know, like I was well over three hundred thousand dollars as like a mid tier CFO. I was like, this is this is what you're comparing to. I was like, you know, I was like, we if we'd had this g- discussion early on, you know, and I tried, it would have been a totally different story. Um, but the other one I got really close to, which I actually loved, was Ernst and Young. They were looking for a head of uh financial reporting. So I've always, one of the reasons I like working with accounting firms is I love the accounting process and automating it and trying to improve the, especially the financial reporting side because it's always been like, even at AGL, we were doing our 160 page report on Excel and Word and it was just, it was just a joke, you know, like, so EY had this really cool system where they were trying to automate that whole process for listed businesses And I was like, oh, I'd I'd love to do that. And I could see, I had a passion and I had, I think, the skill set. And I was like, if I could put these together, I reckon I could go from director up to partner um, in that business pretty quick. Um, But again, like I was comparing it, you know, it was probably 2018 and I was comparing it to CFO level numbers. And I remember talking to my wife and I just... (laughs) I said, "Here's the number that they're offering." I was like, "She was working at the time, so it wasn't going to be too much of a stretch financially." And she was like, "Absolutely not! You're not taking like, you know, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars less just because you like financial reporting." I was like, "I was like, all right." So that that kind of put the end to that. It was it really just came down to money. Um, there's just such a big gap between partner and directors, and that honestly that that hurts me so much. Like I cannot sit next to my team. And if they're making $60,000 and I'm making, you know, a million dollars, I don't know how some partners do it. Like it kills me. Like, you know, I've, I've got, I've got like, I think the partner position is overpaid. Um, and I've posted about it a lot, but like, you know, on average, I think we need to pay our accountants more in the market. Like they need bonuses for working harder. Like, they need, they need more recognition and reward and better promotions and just like a, a more open understanding of the value that they bill. Like if, if someone's billing $600,000 and you're paying them $60,000 or $100,000, it's just, it's highway robbery. And that, that matrix has really always concerned me in the, in the mid-tier and big four kind of businesses. It's just such a huge gap.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Electrify. Are you an accountant grappling with the complexities of crypto? Are your business savvy crypto clients hard to keep up with? Do you find the intricacies of blockchain technology overwhelming? Don't worry, Electrify is here to help. With their roots in Bitcoin accounting since 2014, they specialize in crafting strategies for SME accountants that not only attract the right clients, but also turn them into profitable partnerships. They'll help you to update your service models and pricing and provide you with relevant training, tooling, and workflows. Work with the team at Electrify to build the foundation to confidently support your clients' crypto transactions and businesses. Check out electrify.finance to find out more. That's E-L-E-C-T-R-A-F-I dot finance. Tyler stayed at Rossay Chartered accountants for a bit over a year before realizing he was better off building his own firm.
1: I try to say this with as much humility as I can, but like I I realized I could quickly out earn those guys really quick and it was, you know, those those two kind of key owners that, you know, were on doing well but like maybe they just didn't have it like anymore. They probably had it in the younger years and yeah, you know, once I got in there, and also I did a flip on that business, like installed, got them off Handysoft, moved them onto Zero, and you know, kind of changed their entire system stack. You know, fixed up their internal finance process, that type of stuff. I started, you know, trying to build the Bean Counters.
0: Tyler's firm, the Bean Counters, are systems specialists. They scope and implement systems and help with process automation. They also do. Some Power BI reporting and outsource CFO work.
1: As soon as we opened, like one of our clients was an accounting firm and that was just our biggest value curve. We quickly realized that accounting firms have so much, so many systems compared to the average business. Like I think the average business might have about six to eight systems, even including Microsoft and, you know, mm-hmm. you know, document management and such where accounting firms can actually be at 15, you know, to Mm -hmm. be optimal. Um, And so we quickly realized that if we work with accounting firms, like A, we can add heaps of value. Like we can automate so much for them. Like we've turned financial statement prep from like an hour and a half on average down to four minutes for some Mm -hmm. businesses. Just through like really thinking about how the systems work and making sure they're operating properly.
0: So where did the offer to become a partner at a mid-tier firm come into mm. the equation? I mean, interested to hear more about that whole process.
1: Yeah, so we'd been in business for about uh, a year and we had four employees, myself plus three, char- oh, sorry, myself, two chartered accountants and then um, our head of systems. And just through networking, you know, I got in touch with, um, you know, a, a top 10 um, business and you know, really, really good business with a great strategy. It got very close. Um, you know, they offered to buy the whole team or, you know, hire the whole team, put me on it as a, um, as a partner on a, on a very good wage. Like it was more than I was making, um, at the time. Um, and also, you know, really looking at, uh, like big businesses. So, you know, instead of, like, we specialize in zero. We specialize in Employment Hero and Wheel and HubSpot and all those cool connected kind of systems and Zero Practice Manager and HQ. But moving to this business was looking at, you know, NetSuite installs and big system scopings and, like, you know, 100 to $1 billion dollar businesses revolutionizing how they do their systems because it's so hard mm-hmm. in that market. And we talked literally for six months. Um, you know, we had... Proper written offers on the table, but it came down to like I was I was a yes I was a fifty one percent yes forty one percent no forty nine percent no, but my team the the four girls I was working with at the time um, two were from our original design business IA design business they said no um, they said we like what we have got we like the flexibility of working from home um, we like that everyone's on a really good bonus scheme here they said we won't get a bonus. Um, we like that we don't have to wear suits and all those types of things. And then also they liked our client base. Like we are only time and materials. So our ability to not fix a, a number and to tell a client that they're just not cutting the mustard anymore and that we're departing the relationship creates such a beautiful, even leverage where no client can talk down to my team. No one can like be arrogant. And we get that ability to, because we're not fixed, we're not on retainer, we're not on fixed fee, there's no fixed deliverable. That if, if someone doesn't cut the mustard, we just happily finish the job and exit. And so, those kind of metrics, the, when the team said no, um, yeah, I kind of happily said no. And, um, you know, the, there were numbers there of, um, you know, in a five year projection, over $1 million in salary plus equity and stuff. And, you know, which I'm still not on now, like I'm not on over a million dollars per year, but that was always a dream of mine to become like, you know, partner in a big business. Um, Mm -hmm. But because of the way we've built this business and the value we can move to, you know, do to clients and also the way this business has allowed my team and I to enjoy life as well as enjoy work um, without an hour commute each way uh, has been... Is is probably what made me stay.
0: What does what would the lifestyle comparison have looked like if you were to <sighs> take that role compared to the what you're doing now?
1: It's been I've th- thought about this about this so much, and like you'll you'll have this as well because I mean obviously you've gone through career changes in your life, like you've had you know been lucky enough to have kids and all those types of things. Like those change the 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 your daily timeframes. Um. I've always struggled in the morning. So I've always struggled my, the worst part, the worst version of me is when I'm rushed. And so I've really learned that waking up early, working out, um, if I get time to meditate, I love it. Going for a swim, having a coffee and then starting work creates the best version of me. I'm happy. I can work a lot longer hours wise. I can do it with peace. Um, and also I think I can solve problems better because my mind is a bit clearer. Um, that, that comparison for me personally has been really, really big. Um, then on the other side, the value we can put into clients because we're completely adaptive to their time schedules has just been awesome. So because we're not predetermined by, you know, so many big businesses dictate the way they want you to build them. Hey, we want a fixed fee. And you've got to give us the number. And I, I gave a couple, two fixed fees early on in the business here. And I just like every, it's just a no straight away for me. And now being able, if a client wants us, you know, as I said, I've got like a 11 to 12 kind of meeting tonight. I think, you know, knowing that I can turn up and we can build a client for that, they get value. I, I can sleep in if I like, you know, that's been a really happy profile, but for me that's been good but watching my team embrace it has been really cool like one of our team members worked from Bali for about three weeks Um, my business partner Dan I see him about once a quarter Um, you know he's he's a new dad of his his uh, son is under one year old and so um, watching him work on a client hang up the phone and then you know, mate, I, I can't talk right now, I'm just, you know, you know, walking the baby or something. Yeah. It's just lovely to see, like, it, I think it allows, um, it allows us so much more flexibility in life. Um, how Have you found it like going through the, the, the journey of a small business into what I think you guys are quite a large business now being, being ninjas, you know, like, how have you found that process?
0: Yeah, so our, we started as a remote team back from the beginning, and mm-hmm. our goal was always freedom. So when I started the business, me and my co-founder Ben had a goal of we want to get to $1 million dollars a year in revenue and work twenty hours a week or less in two years. Nice. And it obviously took us a bit longer than two years to get there, but the goal was always to have a lifestyle, and we wanted to have location independence, so I'd be able to run the business from anywhere. I. Mm-hmm. Uh, Control of freedom of our time. So choose when we work, not be restricted to any set time. And then financially, we're also trying to build financial freedom. And we were kind of thinking about that through the FIRE principle, which um, I could go off on a tangent about that, but that's um, financial independence, Mm -hmm. retire early. There's a movement around that. And I've got some some thoughts around that. So that was the goal. But it was lifestyle, it was always lifestyle first, but it was a grind the first couple of years. I did work weekends, I worked late nights, just trying to get the business going. But then the goal wasn't to optimize revenue, it was to cut back work hours and and gradually remove myself from the business while building a good business. So it was always, the. I'm actually giving a presentation in a couple of weeks and it's all about the trade-offs of, well, are you optimizing for revenue or are you optimizing for lifestyle? Because there's a lot of decisions you can make that might not, that they might, mean a slightly lower revenue but your lifestyle is so much better because of it. Mm-hmm. so I've tried to focus on making those kind of decisions.
1: Oh, that's beautiful I, I've got the same mantra I've got it and I've got an interesting story on this. I was in the CFO symposium you know, maybe a year and a half ago um, and one of the guys from a budgeting tool was up there presenting and he was talking about growth lines on his budgeting tool and you know we're talking, 300 CFOs, financial controllers or partners in a room. And he goes, you know, who, who doesn't want to grow revenue? Is there Anyone in the, in the place that doesn't want to grow revenue? And I was the only person that put my <laughs> hand up and he was like, are you being serious? And I was like, I was like, yeah, man, like, you know, we've, we're over a million, like, you know, I was like, mate, if I double my revenue, I'm, I'm double stressed. You know, I have to double that sales pitch. I have to watch. Instead of watching 20 projects a month, I have to watch 40 projects a month, and that's just too much, um, you know. And, and managing that cycle of um, happiness versus work effort has been really good, you know. Like I don't, I don't want to make five million dollars a year. Like our goal for each of our seniors is to make a million dollars a year, which you know we're on track to do, and that's you know a net profit million dollars each is is possible, and if we If we do that, while also everyone being casual and having time flexibility, like, I reckon I'll cry. Like, (laughs) uh, like it's it's been, I'm not not hugely focused on the money, but I'm focused on the value that we can create to clients. And if we can take that value and turning it into financial reward at a reasonable level, that's not overbilling people, you know, Uh I think that's got, I think that's where I want to position the business. And to kind of come back to the point, I don't, I don't think I'd have the ability to influence the culture of a mid-tier business as much as I've been mm-hmm. able to influence this. Like a new starter yesterday wrote back to me. He was like, I love the way we work here. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it just warmed my soul, you know, because we've always tried to be good to work with number one and then reliable and professional number two, you know. But overall, mistakes happen. But like as long as you're a good human and as long as you're a good team, and put your best effort forward, that's all, you know, anyone could ask.
0: It's interesting what you mentioned about impacting culture at a mid-tier firm. So, mm-hmm. early in the early days of Beanagers, we had an acquisition offer from a mid-tier firm. But part of the deal was that I was going to go on and, and run uh, yep. what Beanagers did. So, I was bookkeeping only back then at that firm. And I, I did think about it. But I could see that I was just going to be a junior partner um, with a whole lot of other partners uh, that we, there wouldn't be the opportunity to take the culture that that we'd built. Um, mm. It was going to be back to the suit and tie, the corporate culture. And while it might have been financially rewarding, I could see that I wasn't going to enjoy that at all. I, I could see the politics and just try to uh, get consensus with that many people um, that it was not going to be – I didn't think that it would be enjoyable.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: I'm saying. This podcast is brought to you by TeamUp, helping you to recruit top Filipino accountants without the ongoing monthly fees. They can source accountants with experience working at US or Australian firms who are familiar with tools like Xero, QBO, and Dext. They can also recruit specialist roles like bookkeeping team leaders who have leadership experience and Australian tax specialists. I recently came on board as an investor and advisor to TeamUp and I love their ethical approach to the offshoring industry where they look after both the accounting firm and the Filipino accountants. Make sure to check out the TeamUp newsletter for more content on building top-tier accounting teams in the Philippines. That's at hireteamup.com. H-I-R-E-T-E-A-M-U-P.com. So let's pick up the story you had Automated things. You'd build a great team, and then you approached your boss and said, "Hey, I don't. I, you don't need me full time. Can I go part time?" And yeah. so you were basically taking a pay cut, and he said, "No."
1: Yeah, that was that was an interesting moment because um, the business had a small downturn, um, not big, and I'm talking like you know 10% in revenue, you know, and enough that that wasn't going to be hitting budgets, and so the boss was you know, hey, we're, we've got to let go of one of your team. And I had a team of me plus three and maybe me plus four if I include the admin assistant. Um, and he picked one of the uh, ladies in my team was like, you know, she has to go. And, you know, I had three international um, employees, you know, Turkey, Nepal and Nepal that were paid, you know, a third of what I was probably getting paid, if I'm, if I'm being honest, they were all grads. I brought them in as grads because I knew I, I hired smart people that I could train up. And I knew if she left the job, you know, it was going to be a lot harder for her to find a job than me. And also she was really good and, like, worked really hard. Um, and I knew that the business would be get more value from her full-time and she would have more um, happiness than I I would being full-time. Um. And so he, when I came up to him, I said, hey, here's the proposal. Keep all three, but put me part time. And honestly, you'll get, I'll come into the office every day, nine till 12 or nine till one. But he was like, no, you know, I, I need you whenever I need you, like at beck and call the whole time. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, you've still got to fire that person. And I just, I just said that was like, I was, mate, that's bad ethics. You shouldn't. You know, you shouldn't do that just because we're not hitting budget. That person's not underperforming. They're a full-time employee. Like, there's, there's nothing here. Like, that's not a good reason for redundancy. Um, there's better ways. And you'll save double by halving me, right? So mm-hmm. really think about the metrics of it. Um, and so when that got knocked back, I actually brought all four of my team into a, a meeting room and sat them down, and I, I was pretty transparent with them. And like it was kind of close to tears, you know, because mm-hmm. we were all about two years in, and um, you know, the I, I said to the the lady that was, you know, had her, you know, they were the, she was the one that they wanted to give the pink slip to. I, you know, I said, look, that's that's what the boss has said. And I said, but I'm I'm not going down that route, right? So I said, I'm going to try to find us all for a better organisation. Um, and we're all going to try to move there and leave this business without good ethics behind. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's when I started looking at partnership roles um, and, yeah, really started looking at, I I joined a business called Rothsay um, and I bought two of the team across, Mm -hmm. um, which was really good. And then one of them stayed because she was finishing a visa, which was actually quite good because she kind of managed the transition between the old CFO Mm -hmm. and Uh, sorry myself and the new CFO and yeah like honestly I couldn't be prouder of those three now one's like uh, the head of finance for Planet Fitness Australia one's um, a manager at Mazars and the other one's um, a transformation change manager at um, uh, New South Wales Parliament so um, yeah like I I was really lucky to have that team and have happily placed them in a few different roles and Almost held my promise to get all four of them across, but you know that's is what it is.
0: Well, final question. I, I'm interested to hear what's next for you. You've been growing the bean counters for a while now, building out that team. But you've talked about well, maybe revenue growth isn't everything. So, mm. what does the future look like for you?
1: Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, we're really happy on our team at the moment. There are seven people. Um, we've just opened a sales training arm, which has been lovely uh, with our employee in Denver. So her and I teach tech people and accountants how to sell, um, which is just an absolute passion project, but is somehow making good money at the moment. Um, we're going to keep to our basics of like really trying to help Australian accounting firms improve their processes, get onto better systems um keep our basics of moving people to employment and zero and sorry employment hero and zero and wheel Um, and about once or twice a year we take on like a big project and at the moment that's our us uk project and we're you know doing nine systems for a 500 people international business trying to flip those around so if we stick to those basics um know, i think we're going to be a really happy um team that's productive um you know and, and i think I think from there, if we focus on the consulting, we haven't got a huge tech play in the in the arm, you know, under the hat at the moment, but down the track, um, that's definitely on the board.
0: Yeah. Amazing. Well, Tyler, thank you so much for coming on the show. If our listeners wanted to get in touch with you, but particularly, there's a lot of accountants and accounting firm owners that might find value in your services. Where's the best way to get in touch?
1: yeah thanks um linkedin's our absolute winner um if you find me tyler Kasky at the bean counters uh, on linkedin or uh our website um has all our connections www.thebeancounters.com.au uh, um and thanks very much meryl like honestly like i've been a huge fan of what you've been putting out into the market and i'm, I'm not just saying that so sort of, you know for the couple of years since we've been connected um and I, I loved hearing your journey. I loved hearing that you're looking at the balance between revenue and time. Um, that's very near and dear to my heart as someone who wants to live healthy into their 80s and 90s um, and not be riddled with accounting firm stress. So, yeah, well done. It's great to hear.
0: Thanks so much.
1: Cool. Thanks. See you later.
0: It was fun chatting with Tyler from the Bing Counters today. I know our business names are similar, Bing Counters and Bean Ninjas, but I wasn't expecting us to have so many other things in common, particularly around our focus on lifestyle. Here are a few parts of the conversation that stood out to me. Tyler doesn't believe in regret, but he does think about whether he made the jump from big four to working in industry too early. And following the path to become a partner at a big four firm could have been an amazing opportunity. It was interesting hearing that perspective. That was a path that I was not interested in following at all. And after my three years at BDO, I was ready to move in a different direction. So I enjoyed hearing a different opinion about that or a different perspective about that. I love a good morning routine and I enjoyed hearing about Tyler's schedule and how he prioritises mornings, but also that he's fine working into the night or odd hours to accommodate his international clients. And lastly, I enjoyed his story of the boss who wouldn't let him go part-time. I hope that the world is moving in a different direction where gradually more and more flexibility is available to accountants and professionals in in other industries too. But it was a good reminder that not everyone thinks like that. And now a quick ask. If you're enjoying the podcast, then I would love it and greatly appreciate it if you would take the time to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify or somewhere else. Appreciate it. Thanks.